Hello, you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is the 7th of September, 2023. Um, I, for one, am scorched. Um, it's very, very hot, um, which prompted uh, an article from RTE today to point out that we're going to have scorching Septembers from now on because of climate change. And if it was very wet, I suspect we'd have an article in RTE saying we're going to have very wet Septembers because of climate change. That's just the way the thing works. Um, am I being cynical there, Sarah? How are you? And Grant, have we not always had really nice, I mean, does anyone Irish not just basically associate going back to school with scorching it's weather? It's the universal law of good weather. We get good weather twice a year, exactly. I mean, two weeks from the leaving cert is on and yeah. two weeks from the kids and the teachers go back to school. It's the, yes. it's the you, like, no one who's a student of Irish weather could miss this. Nothing to do with climate yeah. change. It's, um, exactly. you know. The, the heavens opening. I want to start the show, Sarah, but something doing something we, we don't do enough of. In fact, up until now, haven't done any of it. And uh, somebody um, called Jim Banda on YouTube last week gave me a spanking and said it was very disappointing that we just ignore questions people leave for us in the YouTube comments uh, or indeed in other places. And the truth is, folks, we haven't been ignoring those questions as such. Um, it just hasn't occurred to us to speak about them. And that <laughs> I, I want to apologize for. That was a mistake. We should have been doing that. So just to say, on last week's show, we got a number of comments in, Sarah, but a lot of people were a bit critical of you for your um, perceived defense of Andrew Tate, saying that, you know, he's a misogynist, lying, pimp, other words, um, and, and you listen to three hours of him chatting and you seemed a bit too friendly for him. But I don't think you were actually defending, you, you weren't saying he's great. You were just saying everyone has different sides to them. Yeah, I wasn't saying he was great. I was saying that it was an interesting interview and gave a different perspective and that I came away from it feeling like he had some understanding of the power that he had, which is a comfort, and that some of the stuff was old and he seemed to have been to have had some some level of self-reflection. Like mm. he also converted to Islam and you know, he talked a lot about, you know, religion and I just like he, he just was a little bit more evolved in his thinking and not a complete, you know, Neanderthal that I thought he was. Like, uh, I mean, the, the gist, gist of your reaction is basically, as I understand it, you went in to watch this thing expecting to come across a dribbling, slavering, woman-hating, misogynist, yeah. racist and then yeah. he was slightly less bad than that. And you were like, oh, yeah. he, he won the expectations game with you. Is that? Is but, that... All, but, but also, like, John, it comes back to the base point that I make all the time, which is saying that somebody, that you watched an interview with somebody or that you, you know, saw their point on one thing or whatever, doesn't mean you agree with everything they've ever said or done. And this is where people come a cropper all the time. Like, I don't think... Like, like, for example, I also talked last, and, and I'm obviously not drawing comparison between these two people, but um, Duncan Smith, a, a Labour TD, I don't think that he's right about anything he's ever thought politically, but I think he's still a decent person. Now, I don't necessarily agree with everything that Andrew Tate does, and I also don't think he's a decent person, but I can still have a different view from him, like, about him from watching one interview. It doesn't mean I, like, there's just this obsession with, the, the, like, people think that you yeah, endorse everything this person has ever said or done by agreeing with them on one point. Like, I don't agree with myself on things I thought six months ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, like, I take the point that, you know, people 
if people felt I was agreeing with him, maybe that's the impression I gave. I don't agree with everything he does, and I don't, and I think he's problematic in loads of ways. But I think he's evolving, which is more than I can say for a lot of people that I see and being interviewed. To be honest, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's fair, and I hope that that answers the various comments we got in on that point. Um, thought it was interesting. There weren't that many defending Andrew Tate. Normally, normally we get a few more than that on that topic somebody else uh, mentioned that they thought the purpose of the university hospital this is very cynical now I can't believe somebody said this was to push Trinity College up the university rankings because of course massive children's hospital biggest medical facility in the world training facility for medical students from I don't think it's just Trinity though but, but that's a very cynical excuse me way of looking at the world um, and another person said why are we worried about 2.5 billion when we're spending 5 billion on Ukrainian refugees which is a you know Fair point, but I think you can make that point about literally anything. I mean, why build roads when we're spending five billion on Ukrainian refugees? I mean, you have to look at issues separately. I think. Anyway, yeah, that's enough of last week. What did you make of this week, sir? Oh, which which part? Which thing? Well, well why don't we start with the bit where 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 you know I, I know now you're a bit of a girl racer uh, like me, so like you're going to be constrained by the government. You're there. You're there. They're going to reduce the speed limits to save lives. No prison can hold me, John. No prison can hold me. I drove Keith's car once years ago and one of the cover of one of the wing mirrors came off because I was driving so fast. I won't say the number. And he was like, this literally blew off from like velocity or whatever. Um, And never with the kids in the car, but I am a very fast driver, to say the least. So, um, yeah. We'll have to get I, you. To, we'll have to get. I have to get you to, and maybe we should do this. Like maybe we should do this as an event, like for listeners of the podcast or indeed group people. Gary's going to kill me. Gary Kavanagh, who like handles all our events, is going to kill me. Maybe we should organize like a go karting day out because this this fixed me right. I was when I was like eighteen, nineteen, twenty. I was the classic boy racer. I mean, I'm not embarrassed to say. It. Well, I am embarrassed to say. Oh my god! That, did you do stuff to your car? No, 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 never. Oh. No, 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 okay. no, none of that. Okay. I just drove it really fast. Like I am, okay. like I know every guy says this, but I am legit a good driver. Like, I, I, you know, legit. Oh my God. I, I, no, no. When I say good, I don't mean like, I don't mean obeying rules of the road good. I mean like fast. Um, you know, so anyway. De- I, well, there's I, definitely been times when you've, when I've met up with you in Dublin and then you've been talking about going home and then you've described how long it took you to get home. And I've done a quiet or a fast mathematical equation in my brain and thought he could die someday. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd say since I got into proper karting, um, I, I'm much, I, I now like have in my head and since I've gotten older this is not a recent thing right so just don't it's not the last week I decided to cop on but like basically from when I met my my wife actually so about 10 years ago um, when I realized that dying has consequences um, I, 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 oh, I'm, actually, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a safer driver on the road now but like I, I still have the ability to go onto a karting track and there's a good one in Limerick there's a couple of good ones around the country and have fun so we have to get you on one. Is my point? But, yeah, no, uh, I definitely, I definitely, like, I, I definitely changed myself as well. Like, I used to be, um, you know, really into even like um, fairgrounds, you know, like roller coasters and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And since I had kids, I find it kind of deeply unpleasant. Like, I don't like anything like that. And when I tell you, like. 
the mad stuff I did when I was young. And I remember distinctly, like when I went traveling around the world doing stuff and thinking, oh, I, I could die and uh, that'll be really sad for my family. And it just completely changed my perspective. Then when I met Keith and I had kids and now I'm like, no, I, I, I'm not going to do scary stuff because I need to stay alive for my kids. Also, I've seen some of the women that Keith went out with before me and his taste is so poor. I couldn't run the risk of any of them being involved in my children after my death. So. That is that is true. Yeah, you have to look out for them there. Um, I find though as well as I get older, I just realize that there are so many more ways to die. You know, I, oh, yeah. I'm much more conscious of it. Um, I think when you're, when you're 21, 22, even 25, you kind of think of yourself as immortal. Um, and particularly as, a, particularly as a young man, like you don't realize the very many ways there are to die. I was, um, I got my wife laughs at me. You know, we, we, everyone, our dishwasher, everyone normally, I think most people have a dishwasher where there are drawers that pull out, right? She's an awful habit of putting knives in it with the, with the, with the dishwasher drawer out at the bottom and the knives sticking up. And I'm like, what? I could, you somebody could fall and land on one of those knives. And she's <laughs> doing it on purpose. Well. Yeah. Okay. Maybe she's doing it. Maybe she's hoping. But, you know, yeah. I, I just think, you know, that would never have occurred to you when I was younger. And I think as you get older, you get more safety conscious. But all of that leads me to believe that the government's policy of reducing speed limits is a nonsense. Because, I mean, when I was a young and dangerous driver, I didn't obey the speed limits. I mean, I, yeah. I would if I saw a cop car or if I saw a speed van, I would obey them. But, like, get me on a rural road with kind of, like, good corners on it. I mean, good corners in terms of like if you're an idiot and you want to drive fast and have fun going around corners and no cops in sight. I wasn't obeying that. And, and I'm not, I don't think I was alone. I think there's a lot of, because I still meet them on the roads, the kind of like people who were me at 21, 22. They're still out there. I don't think speed limits are going to affect how they behave. No, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's just, Another example of the government here's a problem, if it even is a problem, because the numbers have gone if you account for the increase in population. But anyway, um, here's the problem. Here's something. Let's seem to be doing something. This is something. Let's do this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same old, same old. And like, there's no way that, that like what the the figures, you know, that came out, came out in such close proximity to the announcement that there's no way that that wasn't already planned anyway. Well, you know it, I mean? it was because the Independent told us today. So you just need to read Hugh O'Connell in the Independent. I think it was yesterday, who was reporting on the. This is obviously the result of a commission that has looked at speed limits over a period of time. But down in paragraph fourteen of Hugh's piece, he didn't put it at the top. I think he should have because I think it was it's, it's quite newsworthy um, and of interest to people. Is that commission was looking at three things of which road safety was only one. They were also looking at something called transport utility and emissions. Um, those those are the two things: transport, utility, and emissions. So, I mean, obviously, we know that if you drive your car a little bit slowly, you lose use a little bit less fuel, and therefore, presumably, emit a little bit less CO two. Um, mm. And then, transport utility. I, I I have to say, hand on heart, I don't know what that refers to, but I think what I think it's about is the government's policy of trying to get people out of their cars and onto public transport. And I think if you take like already traffic black spots and you make the speed limit a little bit slower and then you make driving a little bit less pleasant then eventually you see car sales falling and more people opting for the lewis or the the bus or whatever in dublin i think there's a huge element of this to it i mean nobody makes it a secret dublin city council have been trying to get people out of their cars and by making life and traffic in the city miserable for years oh for sure and like we've discussed that before like i live in my getting into town you know 
not on public transport driving or whatever has gone from being like outside of obviously I'm not talking about rush hour morning or evening but like outside of rush hour traffic I used to be able to very easily get from Malahide into city centre in 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and now most of the time it's an hour and that's because this street is closed this street is now one way you can't go this way you can't go that way you can't go you know Fairview in front of the park and all that you can't go that way anymore like it's absurd and it's entirely designed. And the problem is, John, that like, it's all very well. Like if I, I was going to meet actually um, friends a couple of weeks ago and um, I get the dirt, like no hassle. It was a Saturday. Um, I was going in to meet people for early dinner and um, jumped on the dirt, went in and met them. Fine. Um, but if I have like a one and a half year old and my kids are at school mm-hmm. and like the, you know, I'm not going, and I say I'm going in to get Christmas stuff. Let's just say for argument's sake, toys, big stuff. There's no way I'm not driving into town. Like I'm not getting a buggy and big boxes. I won't be able to do it, blah, 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 blah. So what ends up happening really simply, and you can see it, and I know people who own businesses in town have said it to me. What ends up happening is, even though I love town and I like, you know, I love Grafton Street and I love O'Connell Street and I love Arnott's and all that kind of stuff. Ultimately, in the at the end of the day, I just end up saying, you know what, I'll go to Swords, I'll go to Blanchardstown. It's free to park. There's no hassle. And the, the business is just lost in town. And that's mm-hmm. what's they're just being strangled by that. Um, and I'm not against the dart or whatever. Um, I think the bus routes in Dublin, depending on what the route is, mo- for the most part, leave a lot to be desired. But the dart is an incredible service. Um, but there just needs to be more of them. But they just don't always work. And it's an, it's an incredible know. it's an incredible service for people who live along the line. Yeah, the dart, dart is absolutely of no use to those of us um, who live in Tipperary. I want to come to Dublin and and get around it for a day. I mean, yeah, okay. So there's the Lewis Park and Ride. Um, there's there's two two Lewis lines effectively. Uh, but the dart is only really of any use to visitor from Dublin if they're if they're on the dart line. I mean, this comes back to what we were saying on last week's show about metros in other European cities. I mean, the, the lack of the sort of fast-moving um, rail public transport system means that you can't really operate in Dublin without a car, um, in my opinion. Um, certainly coming from outside Dublin. Okay, maybe if you live in the city centre, it's a different story. But that's why, like you, if I want to go and do my shopping, I go to a big um, shopping centre. Um, like the one in Blanchardstown or the one in Liffey Valley or the one in Dundrum, uh, rather than yeah. rather than rather than the city centre. Um, and I don't see how I don't see how all these new speed limits are going to improve that situation. I think if you just make it harder for people to get around the country, they will find ways of, um, you know, th- they'll adapt in ways that won't help your economy. Is my thing. but it's but that but isn't that the underlying issue with so many things? We'll tinker with this small thing without any consideration of the long term consequence, the knock on effect on X, Y, and Z. You know, we'll do this to hotels and not wonder about why price of hotels go up. We'll 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 do we'll put people into these areas with with no services around them and wonder why you know whatever. Like we'll we'll like some of the 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 housing of of um. Ukrainians and stuff in hotels or or homeless people in hotels has had knock on effects for like small businesses in those areas. Do you know what I mean? So like no one thinks about these things long term. Who are you telling? We have a gripped free speech conference in the RDS uh, on you know next weekend, not not this this weekend after the seventh of September. It was on the sixteenth of September on Saturday, and just last week I was booking a hotel for two nights in the city centre 
I was, I mean, I, 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 I nearly had to uh, call in the bank for a loan. It was outrageous. Yeah. Like a fairly bog standard uh, four star hotel, not not like not a name hotel, just a relatively standard four star hotel in Dublin. I was quoted for two nights, uh, 780 euro, which is astonishing. And I mean, but like, but like co- I could, co- I can co- remember a time where it's like 750 euro could have gotten you like two nights in the Shelburne a few years ago. Yeah. One hundred percent. I I didn't even check the Shelburne, obviously. Um, or, 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 or the Marion or any of the other finer hotels. I mean, this is a relatively bog standard, like targeted at business people hotel. I won't name yeah. it because that's not fair. And I didn't, you know, but like the, the prices were, I mean, I know because I've stayed in that hotel over a, a long number of years if I've been in Dublin. Um, and I know like two years ago, that would have been half the price for two nights. So this is this is where we're at in the country. And I think that it brings us on to a topic we wanted to talk about a little bit, because I thought it was very funny this week that the Ukrainian embassy is telling Ukrainians not to come to Ireland. It's saying they're under huge pressure in Ireland. They didn't quite say Ireland is full, but they said you're under huge pressure, lads. Um, maybe don't come. At the same time, the Irish government is saying, oh, it's absolutely fine. In fact, what we're going to do is the electric picnic is over this weekend, so we'll just keep the tents in place and put a few thousand people living in a field in Strad Valley. That's that's where we're at. I mean, what's your take on that? Before I gather mine from my tongue. First of all, like, I went to electric picnic once and made a friend come down and get me. I was so horrifying. And... um, I'm not a festival person. I hate festivals. Mm. Um, I, I went. I, I went once. I lasted half a day. Yeah, no, that's what happened. I yeah. went down on the first day, uh, and I don't think it would come as much of a screaming surprise to anybody who has met me. But I hung around with a lot of boys growing up. Like I've mostly male cousins and one brother, one sister. But a lot of the lads I went traveling with lads the first time and whatever so I went down with the lads and I was just so disgusting and it was raining and it was cold and I had a friend at the time who was sitting in on the Saturday night that night at about half 12 one o'clock I was like can you come and get me and he's like oh it's going to take me about an hour and a half to drive down and I was like it's fine I'll start walking and I literally just left I couldn't bear it so like I think it's inhumane for someone to arrive from a war-torn country and to put them into a tent in a field, like that is by definition, the like a, a demonstration that you have run out of space. It's extraordinary. Before I, I tell you just my own electric picnic story, I went a couple of years ago. Um, Nisha Nunn, who's a who's an old friend of mine, runs the minefield, which is like the the de- it's supposed to be the debating section at electric picnic. But I don't think there's much debate there allowed and allowed these days. I think it's more the sort of preachy section now but in those days there was a little bit of debate allowed so I went there I went and lasted like I think there was a debate for half an hour and then I was on Today FM with Matt Cooper that was broadcasting from the festival and Ed Sheeran was also on and we had like had a drink before we went on he was singing a song I was taking part in some panel and then afterwards um, like the place just was just really unpleasant it was wet and cold and there was like some dreadful noise coming from the stage and I said I'm going home but to this day, my younger nieces and nephews, um, I get to dine out on the story that I met Ed Sheeran. So it w- wasn't all bad. Oh but, but so I, cool. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I had no idea who the bloke was, actually, at the time. <laughs> uh, but but back to the topic of um, the 
the accommodation. I mean, what what more is there to add than that? I mean, we're asking people to live in a field and calling it like compassion and how great we are. It's it's. I mean, if you think, sir, I mean, if you go to the festival, what do you not have at the festival? I mean, okay, so there's portaloos, but there's no showers. Um, where do you wash your clothes? Where do the kids get picked up? If there's, I presume they're not putting kids there, but like they can't because how could those kids go to school? But how do you get to the shops? What's your transportation? Where does the food come from? Are, are all the food vans remaining? Are they still charging festival prices to people who are refugees? It's it's just, I, I can't no, see it. I can't see it working. But it's it's the fact that like, they're willing, like that Roger Gorman is willing to say, yeah, we're not ruling out people, putting people into tents, but like with a straight face without admitting that like maybe this is, you know, a, like a, there's a problem here. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that that's humane at all to somebody. And, you know. But on a more fundamental level, why do you think it is that the Ukrainian government can say to its people, there's no room in Ireland, but the Irish government feels that there's no way it could say that to its own people or to Ukrainian people? What's happening there? I mean. Because we have a culture in Ireland of it doesn't matter what it is. It just matter what matters what it looks like. It matters that we look compassionate and that we look like we're the best boys in the class and we will fulfill whatever obligations, you know, we supposedly have. And, you know, that's what matters. And it's nothing to do with, like, you know, the reality. And we do that about loads of things, John. First of all, apologies to listeners if you heard a dog barking there. My dog has decided <laughs> that there's something terribly wrong. Yeah, so, okay, okay. Um these are the that's we record these things as live. These things sometimes happen. I think she's calmed down a little bit now. But I, I think you're right. And I think there's also um an element of it whereby they're terrified of the, the they're in so deep now that if they admit for one second that actually maybe we have run out of space, they're terrified of being seen to give aid and comfort to the dreaded far right. Yeah. Um so yeah. there's this this fear of uh, if we admit that the country is Full or you know, we don't have room for any more people. Well, that'll mean that all those dreadful people protesting have a point and they're correct. Um, and I think they would much rather plow on and pretend everything's okay than admit that they might have gotten it even a little bit wrong. And that that's a problem because ultimately, I'm not entirely sure where that ends. It doesn't end well, I don't suspect, but we'll have to find out. Well, it's like loads of other things. They just hope that something else comes along and we all get distracted. Mm. Um. So that was it. But anyway, on the electric picnic, um, at least the lads who are moving in, being Ukrainians, I mean, they won't be singing up the ra. <laughs> so, uh, okay, overall, my opinion on this is, uh, as a 40-year-old Irish woman, like, did, did this has not been going on since... You know, forever. So, so for those um, of you, for those people who didn't notice, first of all, I mean, last week at the electric picnic, the the Wolf Tones were there. Um, they did their little medley of whatever it is the Wolf Tones sing, um, and it, one of those songs uh, involves people chanting "Ua up the ra" in the middle of the chorus or something. And apparently, there were like ten thousand people outside the tent where they were singing who didn't hear the rest of the song, who just went along to sing the ooh ah, up the rabbit. Sarah Carey from The Independent was there on Sunday and wrote a piece in the Belfast Telegraph about it, expressing her horror on it. And, and her reaction was not alone. There were a lot of people horrified by this, but you, you, you're you saying it's nothing to worry I about. I just think it's a bit like pearl clutching, like, you know, about, about nothing. Like young people have had, like, you know, drunken Republican ideals 
coming out of their veins since forever. You know, there's the fields of Athen Rye song, used to be sung at discos, it had its own inserts. Uh, like half the world, like, you know, we have a big culture of going traveling around the world. And, you know, most people I knew when I was traveling became super hardcore, kind of like, you know, lovers of Ireland and everything, you know, everything Irish when they left Ireland, if you know what I mean. It would be all mm-hmm. romantic and telling the stories, you know, over campfires with foreigners about our terrible, you know, <laughs> our, our terrible past, whatever. You do, like, it's all like, oh, Tommy, I get leaving Ireland. And then it's, you know. Then they come home, about, and, then they come home and they're yeah, half American. Yeah, exactly. But like, yeah. that's like, I just think that like, Wolf Towns, I mean, my brother is a year younger than me. He used to listen to the Wolf Towns when we were like 15. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, this isn't new. It's just like people getting like absolutely put like I said, like pearl clutching about nothing. They're a band. They've been around for I don't even know how long the Wolf Towns have been around. Look, long, 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 long time. Those songs are old. I don't know what the big deal is. And young people, you know, it's almost like a symptom of privilege, like they've nothing to be worried about. So they, you know, like to have a jig around to some old Irish songs. Big deal. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying about the um, but the 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 Beatles of Bath and Rye rings true because I mean, when I was in teenage discos, making horrendously unsuccessful attempts to pull girls in when I was like 15, 16, 14, whatever it was, like horrendously unsuccessful. I mean, like, oh. but I, I don't even. Think, but I have vague memory of that song used to come on, and it might be connected to my inability to pull girls at the time that I was just one of those people who absolutely, because I've always been a bit of an arsehole, refused to sing those words. I would stand there, mouth pursed together, saying, I am not endorsing that horrendous stuff. Um, well, I, I, I think there could be some correlation there, all right. Probably was. But, um, probably was. I, did, I sang it and didn't even know what I was saying, because I was, you know what I mean, saying it. And then I literally can remember suddenly one day going, oh, what am I saying here? Oh, okay, I think I'll stop that. Um, but I, I, I just think, like, listen, like, with all the stuff that's going on, if young people are listening to a few Wolf Town songs, is the biggest problem that, that we have with our youth. Like, let's, let's, you know, let's consider ourselves to be pretty lucky. I just don't see what the big deal is. I think it's a, it's, you know, still a bit of silly, silly season and people are getting their yeah, but in a twist you have a luxury. You have a luxury here that I don't have, right? You have a luxury in that you're just a normal person who's allowed a normal person's reaction to things. Whereas I have to write <laughs> about this stuff for a living. I have Sorry. to have. I have to have opinions on it. I have to like come up with an opinion that no one else has. So I can't just write the Sarah Carey "This is disgraceful" piece, even though I thought it was very well written. And I can't just write the, but you know, the piece that you read somewhere else going, "Oh, it's grand." Doesn't be worried about. I have to find like something unique to say. A hot um, take, yeah. A hot take, exactly. It's the pressure. I, I mean, I, I should say, I'm not trying to mock what I do because I do put thought into things I write. Um, but what I was thinking this week was like, it's it's obviously, uh, it, it's not new. It's a very old form of rebellion. Young people kind of trying to shock their elders. Right? Mm-hmm. You go back to Woodstock in the 60s or various musical festivals in the hippie age and like there was like, all sorts of shocking things said and done. You go back to the free love era. Uh, you go back to um, the gay rights campaigns. It's all about rebelling against the the establishment that you live in, right? Um, except young Irish people these days don't really have much to rebel against because if the, no matter what they say, if they say, um, well, actually, I think there's 78 genders or... Um, furries, you know, furries aren't getting enough attention. Furries yeah. aren't getting enough attention. The government is likely to say, hmm, no, I, I actually, you know, that's a good point. 
So it's very hard to shock the Irish establishment these days. So the only thing they've got left is, uh, well, the Rao were a great bunch of lads. So I think there's, uh, I think there's an element to that's why it's being embraced as a as a kind of shock the world kind of a thing. Maybe I'm maybe I'm totally off base, and maybe that's just the pressure of coming up with a with an angle on it. But I think there's something to it. The more I think about it, because I mean, there's 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 very little left if you want to be a young Irish person and rebel, and if you want to be a young Irish person and just be purely nationalist. I mean, the soccer team is not worth talking about. Um, you're in a housing crisis. You're probably living with mum and dad. There are very few positive kinds of nationalism at the moment to get your head around. That's the other thing. Yeah, fair enough. But I just still wouldn't. Even, I don't even think it translates as, you know, into any kind of anything to be worried about. I think it's just nothing. I mean, like I think I said before on the podcast that one of the things that made me laugh and like it's so true as well was an interview with Jordan Peterson one time when he said that the way that he stopped all the protests at his visits to universities was he started having his talks at nine o'clock in the morning <laughs> and like do you know what I mean like so like like this isn't going to turn into Sinn Féin votes this isn't going to turn into like anything it's just a concert no big deal mm. my that's my take and it's been going on forever forever like, you know, this romantic idea and they haven't got a clue about what, you know, about a five second conversation with most of those people would show that they actually don't really know. Yeah, yeah. no, you're completely correct about that. I, I do think it's interesting. On the broader topic, though, of the, you know, I saw Leo Varadkar saying today that he thinks that he united Ireland in his lifetime. I still think he's wrong about that. And the reason I think he's wrong about that is because, um, I mean, obviously, I'm not imputing from some 23-year-old woman at the electric picnic singing Ual Ra to the broader debate. But I do think there's a point there whereby Irish nationalism in the modern era it seems to me to be sort of almost incapable of considering um, the point of view of others and how that might offend people um, or how that might make a, a unionist or not a unionist, somebody who's on the fence sitting in North Down thinking, you know, no real emotional attachment to the UK, but not pushed by the United Ireland and this a country where, where there are 10,000 people singing that. And they don't know what you and I know, which is that it's just a bit of casual BS because there's nothing else to say. Um, they might take it slightly differently. And I think there's a there's an un, an unwillingness to, to, to consider those angles for all the discussion about United Ireland. Oh, for sure. And there's also, there's also, I mean, there's an entire podcast in that, like, about how, you know, the there's levels of maturity that will be required and there'll be concessions that people have absolutely no comprehension um, mm. of that will be required in order for that to work. Mm. And it's all very romantic and everything, but like flags, anthems, things like this, you know what I mean? Like, and people will have to get their head around that if that's what they want. And, and there's a maturing that will have to happen about those those. Do, those do you things. think there's also an element with these things that people like the fight for the thing more than they like the thing when they get it? Like, so that if you've got a United Ireland in the morning, I mean, where does your grievance go? Is that not like, is that not like, did you just, this has happened before in this podcast, John, where you accidentally stumbled onto the most profound underlying theme behind about 90% of of the things that have happened in Ireland in the last like well, 20 years. Well, I was years. about to say, because that's my experience <laughs> of the last 20 years. I mean, you you get gay marriage legalized. What? I voted for it, happy to vote for it on the grounds of it. But there were big celebrations like, you know, Ireland stepped into a new era and abortion. 
past massive celebrations in Dublin Castle, evil Catholic Church defeated, you know, um, or as as somebody shouted to me across the street in Limerick about a week later, McGurk in the mud. You know, you're great, tremendous victory. Um, and then six months later, like the sugar high is gone and you're looking for something else to be annoyed about. I think there's an element of that with the United Ireland. I think if you get it, all of a sudden, I mean, you know, what, what do you blame the Brits for then? Well, this is what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I don't um, know. I, uh, like, it would remain to be seen, but I think it's a way more complicated debate. And like, do you know what was funny, actually? Was that, and, I, and I'm like, I'm speaking in absolutes now, and obviously there was people who thought about this and there was consideration given, but the 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 la the or the the small amount from my perspective of thought that was given to the implications of Brexit for the Northern mm-hmm. Ireland before it happened was a real demonstration of like how how people aren't really thinking that much about the long term implications of certain things. Mm-hmm. Do you follow? Like so. Just a lot of 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 things. I mean, I, I appreciate that people, you know, expected that Brexit wouldn't happen, um, or wouldn't be voted for. I mean, should I say? But um, but when it was, there was a lot of people I, I saw, you know, on TV and kind of going, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, what what about that now?" You know, I thought I, I have to say I thought it would pass. I remember, I remember, and I, in fact, I, I have I'm on record. People always say I'm terrible at predicting things. I predicted. The day before the referendum, fifty-two forty-eight, in writing in public, so no one can take that away from me. And the reason I predicted it was because if you look at everything, Sarah, that happens in the world, from the repeal the eighth referendum here to the Trump election to Brexit, the side in politics that has emotion on its side always wins, and the side these days that has logic or, or where the case—not that it has solely got logic on its side, but where the case is yeah, more yeah. logical—loses. Like that's just the era we live in. If you could so get by that rationale, do you think that Donald Trump will get reelected? I think the issue with him is that there's a huge emotional case against him now as well, which there wasn't yeah, before. So, um, so I mean, he he he, he in, in 2020, he people are saying, how how did Joe Biden get 81 million votes? I mean, they weren't 81 million votes for for Joe Biden. There was a whole lot of people who came out to vote specifically against mm. Trump and what he is perceived to stand for. And I say perceived to stand for because. There's a reasonable case to make. He gets a hard time, but a lot of that's of his own making. So, so I mean, I could be wrong. I could be because there's clearly an emotional case for Trump as well. We'll find out. But John, if you were right about the Brexit thing and you read it as right, why do you not have that in your Twitter bio? What about how I call Brexit right? Yeah, like why don't you have it as your profile photo or something? Because that'd be lame, wouldn't it? No, I would enjoy it. I, I, I would enjoy it. I think he'd let me because, like, to be fair, I've had some stinkers. I thought Mitt Romney would beat Barack Obama in 2012. And, did you? Uh, I, I, I did. I got that one completely wrong. That's where I learned the lesson about emotion and logic. Because that's where I like it, Mitt Romney though. Yeah, well, at the time, everyone liked him. Now, now on the right, he's kind of a traitor because he doesn't like Donald Trump. But I think he's just a really decent bloke. I do too. I like um, him. I think he's a nice man. He was right about a lot of things as well in that in that campaign. I mean, famously about the the how Russia was the US's biggest geopolitical foe for which he was laughed at. Oh, and I mean they all laughed him. Yeah, they all do you remember that? They all laughed at him yeah. for saying that. And I mean, obviously you can you can disagree who's in the right and who's the wrong on various issues between the US and and and, and the Russians, but you, you can't disagree that Romney was right to identify the biggest threat there. Um but they all laughed at him. Because it, it, politics is, is ultimately in the era we live in, it's emotional mm. rather than logical. Anyway, 
we might leave it there for this week. Um, I was oh, going to ask you. Now, real quick, you wanted to ask me about this um, this woman in America, the podcaster. I did. Um, I did because I saw this 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 week. So so I just hand the story over to you. You you tell us the story because it's a bit mad. Okay, so this story is about a woman um, whose name will come to me in twenty seconds because it was in my head and now it's gone because I was starting to talk about it. But effectively, it's about um, a woman who was doing um, Ruby Frankie is her name. Uh, she was do- she's a YouTuber, a family YouTuber, and mm-hmm. uh, she was doing videos. You one of these people who films their family life and blah 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 blah. Making cookies and that sort of stuff. Like well, yeah, but she was, yeah, like watch me wait, make the kids lunches and you know, mm-hmm. and um, but she became she kind of went semi viral a few times because of her um, let's suffice to say, or put it mildly, um, harsh uh, punishment for her kids, and um, so she's been arrested and she has two counts of felony child abuse. So with the harsh um, punishments on the YouTube, like was it was it because I know yeah back, yeah back yeah this is like she's she's obviously and this is no no reflection on her faith at all, but she is and her family were devout Mormons. She's got six kids. They live in Utah. That was kind of the the odd quirkiness. It was like look at a different way of living life, um, mm-hmm. and I, I was familiar with the fact that she kind of like made cookies and like did family sing-alongs and they played their musical instruments and all very idyllic. But I, I didn't know there was a harsh punishment angle to it. Obviously, yeah, it makes sense. So, no one wants to come out. So, like, basically, and I'll preface this by saying, by the way, that like I'm kind of not a parent who is um, averse to punishments. Um, and in the at the moment, we're on week two of an iPad and uh, any electrical device ban for boldness at bedtime. So it's not like you know what I mean. I like I I think a lot of um, and I was talking about this with a friend of mine recently, like oh, you're inundated with all these different parenting methods and, you know, soft parenting and, you know, like, you know, um, like negotiating or whatever. Like, I'm sorry, but like I have two boys and a girl. Boys are four and six. A lot of the time they're absolutely feral and no. there is no no talking to them. They don't listen to reason and I don't hit my kids. So, like, I have to manage the, my parenting with, you know, like taking things away and punishments and, you know, whatever. So I'm not. No, no, no. I, I, don't, I don't have kids, but I got to say, I mean, like, I, I, all I know about kids is you got to rule them like a king. I mean, yeah. you can negotiate with them when they're 22 and 23 and wondering if they're allowed an iPhone yet. Um, but you know, that was a joke. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but, you know, until that point, no. Just, yeah. And there's, and there's like, you know, so I uh, like, I mean, you know, that's the way I was brought up. I, loads of our house is the house on the road where, like, you know, kids congregate. It's just happened that way. Like, there'd be loads of kids in our house. And I always say, kids are welcome to be here anytime. But I'm just letting you know in advance that, like, if they're all being bold, I give out to them the same. I don't coddle. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, I say, you're all bullying this one person. You can get out if you're going to do that. You know, whatever, whatever. So I'm not, like... I'm not into that soft thing of like negotiating and, and nonsense. I'm never, ever, ever cruel to my kids ever, but I do chastise them for things. I don't let them away with things. And I think that like my responsibility is to turn them into people. You know what I mean? And also like I was speaking about this with somebody recently, like sometimes John, like 
especially in the summer in July, like when it was raining every day or whatever, like sometimes I flip the lid and like, and I was talking to a friend of mine about this and I was like, but maybe it's good for kids to understand that if they push and push and push and push and push, that people are human. Now I'd say to them afterwards, I'm sorry that I got so annoyed, but you know, here's why, whatever, like maybe it's good for kids to not find out at their first job, you know, when they're 24, that people have their limits and you can't just keep pushing them and being bolder and bolder and bolder and bolder. And then, you know, finding out that like people, you know, might flip the lid. So suffice to but say, they, like they, I, I'm not they, averse to harsh parenting to a point. Yeah. I mean, but, sorry, I, I know, I know I'm stopping you from getting to your point about Ruby Frankie, but like, kids do have to be a little bit afraid of your parents. Of their parents. I mean, yeah. I like when you were younger. Do you remember like a common thing that our generation would say was like, "Yeah, my ma will kill me," and like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, it was mostly metaphorical. But there's got to be a little bit of fear there. If there's no fear, then there's no yeah. consequences. So I, I, kids, I, I, these like kids this, these days have so much more. Expo- there's so much more noise, and they're like, I can literally remember being a kid and saying. Jesus Christ about something in front of the kids on the road and begging them not to tell my dad that I had said that because he would have absolutely gone bananas. He didn't like any kind of, you know, what a profanity in his mind. Like he just, he just wouldn't even dream of it. And you were afraid. Mm-hmm. And during July, I remember I bought these new duvet covers for the kids and uh, they came down the next morning. They were both in a foul mood because it was raining. There was nothing to do. And uh, I said, um, I put the new duvet covers on the beds the night before and I said, oh, was it, how was it to sleep in nice new bed clothes though? And the six, six nearly seven-year-old went, shit. And I was like, excuse me? Did, you, did that just happen? Like, am I, did I just have a turn or did that seriously just happen? And then he was kind of looking at me like, oh no, oh no. But like, he, you know what I mean? It's my job to not let him turn out to be an a-hole. So yes. like, whatever. However, I and and my sister actually were aware of this woman uh, before this all happened. And it some of it was very anxiety inducing and very like abusive, in my opinion. Give us so um, taking a 12 year old's bed uh, for months and he had to sleep on a beanbag on the floor. Yeah, that's not um, uh, like no lunch yeah it's your job to make your own lunch like to a five-year-old john honestly i mean like the idea that i would that either of my kids six nearly he's nearly seven maybe seven or two and four nearly five would make their own lunches is laughable first of all i mean just absurd well like, well, like you'd have to clean up the kitchen after them, i presume which would be it'd be like they've been a burglary it's yeah. like there's been a burglary if they try and make their own like they love to think they're making their own cereal and it's a hellscape for me afterwards. But I know, I'm 40 yeah. and when I try to eat my own cereal, my wife sometimes says it looks like there's been an explosion. So, okay, it's, yeah. It's, so, so obviously not just a child thing, but um, do you leave your bow in the sink to steep like Keith does? Uh, anyway. No comment. Uh, <laughs> cereal doesn't need to steep, John. Um, <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, like not letting them know beds, like weird, weird, cruel punishments, like taking things away from them for long periods of time, you know, no lunch, no dinner, cruel. 
cruelty. I mean, effectively, it was cruelty. And I, and so she was one of the children escaped the house and went to a neighbor's house and asked for food. And the neighbor noticed that there was duct tape around the wrists and called the police. And now a number of people, including a sister-in-law, have come out and said that they've been on to authorities for a couple of years, begging them to do something um, about the fact that this was an abusive household. So it's kind of interesting, but she like prided herself on, you know, this kind of like harsh, like I run a tight ship. This is, a you know, like they're not allowed to do this. They're not allowed to do that. They understand consequences or whatever. And like there's, you know, there's also an age thing. Like I even noticed it with the boys, like one's nearly seven, one's nearly five. The seven-year-old, you could say, if you do this again, you will not get your iPad. We don't let them have iPads during the week, but they're allowed to have iPads this weekend. Mm-hmm. You will not get your iPad this weekend if you do that again. He does it again, no iPad. And he kind of gets that. But I noticed that the four-year-old doesn't really, like, he just doesn't think, like, a, a week to him is, like, four years. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. no, he doesn't have the same com- concept of time as his brother. and so some of her punishments for like really small kids were absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of made a, a like made a, a lifestyle or a, a, a living out of this, like putting her family online and whatever. And it's obviously spectacularly blown up in her face, but probably good news yeah, for the it, kids. It, it's funny like the popularity of that stuff, I think is a reflection on sort of where we're at as a society. Because one of the things that I, I find really frustrating in society at the moment in general is moderation is almost kind of a dirty word. Like everything is, if you're not extreme on one side, there's a flip to the extreme on the other side. Like obviously there's a huge case out there for what you might call more old-fashioned parenting. There is, I think, as a non-parent, just observing society, I think there, there's there's a, there's a there's an issue certainly with a lack of discipline for kids. But then of course somebody comes along and suggests this massive overcorrection. It's like, it's, almost, it's very similar to Andrew Tate and, and that whole kind of men's rights movement in a way where Yes, there's a sense that kind of young men are, are are a bit lost and alone in society. And yet here come here along comes a guy who says the way to reclaim yourself is to be an absolute dickhead to women. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, like there's there's it's it's like there's this like for every reaction, there's there's an equal and massively overblown opposite reaction. I, I mean I'm not articulating that as fluently as I would if I thought about it in more detail, but I think there's something there. No, and I think you're absolutely right. But I think as well, like I'm always, you know, like, you know, kind of cautiously skeptical or skeptical enough about people who are so confident in their methods. Like Mm. ultimately, like I don't know, you know, like I'm doing my best as a parent. I have certain things like that. I, you know, I've never crueled my kids. I have certain things that like, I get right and I have certain things I'm I'm simply going to get wrong right and like that's just the way it's that's the way parenting goes everybody most people are doing their best and people get things right and people get things wrong and you hope that they don't have some core memory of the day you flipped your lid you know what mm-hmm. I mean and don't remember the nice bed sheets and the things you bought them and the times you were not you know what I mean brought them mm-hmm. to nice places They're like whatever but like you know, at the end of the day, everybody's doing their best. But if you're like so absolutely certain that your parenting style is the absolute best and all the other ones are wrong, I would always be kind of deeply suspicious of that. Mm-hmm. Like everybody thinks, like that's why I, 
I try not to comment on, you know, like everybody makes mistakes and everybody's doing their, like I was, my kids do swimming, the boys do swimming on a Monday and I bring them and it's a complete nightmare. Like they have to be changed in, changed out, they go into the pool. I have to wait outside with a one and a half year old who's now mobile and it used to be easier, but now she wants to, you know, walk around and it's hell. And um, just Monday gone, I had a packet of hula hoops in the swimming bag, which she saw. And um, they were, they were a, what a, a prize for one of the kids for some thing at school. And um, they were open and she wanted one. She was going mental, mental, mental. And the boys were just getting out of the pool or whatever. And the hula hoops were like, there's a high chair in the changing room. I put her into the high chair. She's gone mental for one of these hula hoops. And I was like, oh, fine. Here. So I took one hula hoop out and I gave it to her. Of course, I turn around five seconds later. She's gagging on this hula hoop, right? And there's a man in the changing room with his kids and whatever. And he just went, it was so irritating. And he's like, I think I'm a bit young for hula hoops, don't you? And I was just like, how annoying are you? But like, yeah, she is probably too young for hula hoops. I made a mistake. She was grand. But like, you know what I mean? You do things, you make mistakes. Like that's what parenting is all about. And people who put themselves up there as these pillars of like, well, the way to do it is to discipline the children and you do this and you do that are usually, in my opinion, probably either lying about what they're doing or not the best parents, unfortunately. And that has definitely played out here. There's a couple of other really famous YouTube couple uh, people that I'm not going to name. My sister and I had followed for years, stopped following, and they have a, non, a, a transgender child now. The father has come out as non-binary and it's and their whole life is on the internet for you mm. to watch and it's like are you just like what's the say nothing for the fact that these children have no consent to their whole childhood mm-hmm. being on online there, there, millions there's, there's, of views. there's any number of cases now of sort of child youtube stars who have are coming out and saying what a hell their life was yeah excuse me um and I, I I don't think there's a coincidence in that. I think I think we're seeing the consequences of sort of a fame-based culture, particularly like the, mm-hmm. the early stage of like we're we're sort of in the second generation of the internet now, and there were there were definitely some people who abused themselves in the first generation of it. We're we're starting to find out the consequences of that. I think. Yeah. Anyway, we're kind of up against time, but it's been a fascinating hour of discussion as always. I think. Um. Thanks very much to those of you who listen to us and watch us on YouTube. Um. Our views on this podcast and our listens are really, really strong, and we're we're really grateful for that. Um. And uh, we are going to have a program of some interesting guests over the next couple of months. Um. So stay tuned with us as we get to that. But for now, folks, from Sarah and from me, that once again was the week that really was.